Hello, and welcome back to the Chris Ye Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Ye, and I am joined by my partner, Scott Johnson of Blitzscaling Ventures, to talk about another set of venture deals, this time for the month of June 2020. Scott, how are you doing? Doing very well, Chris. Good to be here. All right. What have we got on the docket? As you may recall, listeners, what we do every time is we talk through a couple of the deals that have been done by top venture capitalists over the past month, and we score them for blitz scalability and give our take on the companies. What's the first company on the list? Well, there are four companies that we'll talk about this week, and the first one is called Pinwheel. And Pinwheel is an API for payroll. So if you want to build applications around payroll that basically draw information from who got paid what when, then they make it very easy to do that. And there are other examples in the world of companies that have done this that have gotten very big. And one that comes to mind is Twilio. Twilio essentially became the front end for a telco. So if you wanted telco services, you could just evoke their very simple API and all the power of a telco would be right there in the developer's hands. So this is a tool for developers because it's an API and it gives them access to payroll information. And so a question that comes immediately to mind, Chris, is, is what are the use cases for this and you know, how big can they be? But um, what, well, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I took a look at Pinwheel's website and one of the use cases they listed was payroll-linked loans or paycheck-linked loans. And that's actually interesting, right? Because normally, if you're making a loan to someone, you have to ask them to verify their income. You have a bunch of paperwork going back and forth. If you know how much someone is getting paid, all of a sudden, it becomes a lot easier to offer the loans. So I think that there is a promising future in using the payroll data to provide more friction-free kinds of financial instruments. But I also do think that these are pretty new and it may take a while for the best use cases to emerge. They had some other things on the list like switching direct deposit. Guess what? That's really not that exciting. So I think it really boils down to what kinds of really cool use cases emerge that perhaps we, we haven't thought of before. Well, I just thought of one, which is I had to guarantee my daughter's loan for, sorry, my daughter's lease in New York City because she's going back to school and she's leasing an apartment and she didn't have the income to to sign the lease, but um, by my guarantee, but I had to go and provide all kinds of payroll data to these people and um, and asset data. And so I think, you know, if there was an easy way for these leasing companies to access that data, then they could really smooth out their process. So there's, that that could be a very big Big opportunity. So I think that this is a really interesting company and we should definitely pay attention to it. It's a seed round, $7 million. So they're just getting going on this. But if they can connect to all the different large payroll companies so that no matter who you are, you can just provide a social security number and bam, here comes your payroll information. Then I, you know, I see, I see a bright future. So let's talk about network effects, land grab, you know, what's, what's the winner take most scenario here? Well, I think that as we saw with Twilio, as you build out your set of connectors to all the different payroll systems and all the different 
ways that people want to connect to the payroll, you're basically standing in the middle and providing a platform. So there are network effects. I'm not entirely certain if it's as strong as Twilio because how many different payroll providers are there? Most people use things like ADP, a number of people use Gusto, which is a company, of course, we're very fond of. But I don't feel like there's as much fragmentation or as much difficulty there. Uh, so, But I still think it ends up getting pretty good marks for this kind of network effect. So, you know, let's give it a 10 for now. I think that I'd be willing to revise it downward later though, if more evidence comes out. Yeah, no, I'm optimistic that if they become the platform to do this, then there is a big network effect there. You just become the place for, you know, <clears throat> the, the, the place for truth in payroll data. And that, that's a really powerful position that you can print money for decades, as you often say. And let's, let's recall for our listeners that really the winner take most and the next one distribution comprise the bulk of our scoring. It's almost 60% of our scoring. So these are really important metrics, these first two that we talk about. <clears throat> Moving on to distribution, uh, how do you think about that? And you know, what, do, what do you think is a good score? Well, this is tougher. And again, this is not a consumer play. This is an enterprise play. And Pinwheel is going to have to reach out to all the folks, maybe it's financial institutions or what have you, that are going to want to connect to this. So it is going to have classic enterprise sales characteristics. It is going to be a bit of three yards and a cloud of dust. Uh, that being said, you know, because they are an API, there is some word of mouth going on between the developers because the developers, as we know, are always into discussing the latest platforms, even if they're developing for a large financial institution. So we'll give them sort of a middling score here. How about a seven out of 10? Yeah, I think that's fair. Developers do talk. So definitely a seven and who knows, it may get higher than that as, as it rolls out. You know, if this is a big problem for developers and the first result when you Google it or, uh, or, or look for it in API information is, is you know, <clears throat> pinwheel pops right to the top, then that could be an eight or a nine going forward. So th there's possibility there for an upgrade. Product market fit is a five we decided because we really don't know. I mean, if they're just getting going, they probably don't even have their product yet. APIs are usually pretty well designed, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes there are. It's hard for us to tell from the outside without using it as a developer. So because it's a seed round, it doesn't really exist yet. We're kind of giving them a low score with some opportunity to get much higher going forward. And this is the kind of thing that we could do diligence by talking with friends of the financial services industry and saying, hey, have you checked this thing out? What do you think? Has any, have any of your people connected to it? And if they came back and said, oh, yeah, it was super duper easy and we're going to do five more connections, all of a sudden that product market fit score starts to rise. Right. And uh, let's move on to the other metrics. And those are quick because this is a cloud service and cloud services have a oh, wait, wait, wait. We got to do market size first. I was, I was skipping. No, right. but market size is also good. So we'll talk about market size. So obviously when you think about payroll, payroll covers pretty much almost everyone who works outside the informal economy. Obviously the drug dealers aren't using ADP, but everyone else is. And so there is a tremendous potential market, especially if you think about it as a way of unlocking new financial services products, which of course, as we know, are enormously valuable. So we gave that a 10 out of 10. And it just occurred to me that, you know, going back to network effects, if they're actually tapping into gig economy data, not just payroll company data, then there's a whole lot of value they can add over and above what, uh, what you can get today. That so actually gets me very excited because that's also an area where there really hasn't been a lot of work done. So I do think that it would be wise for them to focus on that. 
Right. And then gross margin and scalability. I mean, these are just, they're, they're all tens because this is a cloud service. And so your gross margin is almost hundred percent and they scale infinitely. And, you know, you're just not going to have to hire a lot of people or have a lot of organizational complexity to serve your customers. So this is uh, ultimately at 76 out of a hundred. And remember 80 out of a hundred is what really gets us excited. And all they need to do is upgrade their, product market fit, which I'm confident they can do to get up above 80. So this is one we're going to keep our eye on. We're not going to right away go out and try to invest, but we are going to keep our eye on them and, you know, potentially reach out. And if they're doing really well, try to make some introductions to the, some of the marquee investors that we like to invest alongside and maybe put a, an A round together and go alongside them on that. Moving on. So Pinwheel, a good one. Uh, moving right on to Postman. Um, Postman is a collaboration platform for API development. So as developers are building APIs for internal use, they can publish them to this platform and make them available to other internal developers. At the same time, they can publish them externally on the same platform and grab things externally. So it becomes a network of API developers where you can have a sort of a, a private cloud and then a more public cloud of APIs that are available. And I think this is a terrific idea. And so do a lot of other people. Insight led a round of 150 million. It's a C round back on June 11th. And they've raised a total of 200 million. So there's a lot of traction here. And Chris, why don't we just talk about the aspects of the business as we always do and start with network effects. What do you think? So the network effects here are not quite as high as you might like. And the reason is the nature of the collaboration. So you can really think of Postman as being divided up into two things. One is a directory of all the publicly facing APIs, which makes it easy for people to communicate around the APIs. And the other are the private networks for the teams that are working on these APIs. And these are things that are maybe even only being used internally. And because those are internal networks, it means that it's a very highly fragmented uh, group of micro networks. And that's always going to be a little less powerful than a single gigantic network, like something like a Facebook, right? Facebook or WhatsApp or something like that, where every single person communicate with every other person. That's the ideal. But nine out of 10 is still very good. Well, you know, Facebook has private messaging. Twitter, Twitter has direct messaging. There's sort of, you can, you can have little silos. Of yeah, but the postman, those are silos, but those are things that do not account for everything. And with postman, there really isn't a way for those teams to communicate with each other or collaborate with each other. They're designed to be internal by, because those are the things, those are the keys to the kingdom for your company. Yeah, so nine out of 10, um, I, I think... You know, I think they have strong network effects. It, I, I'm excited about <clears throat> the sort of the, the bigger cloud, not the private cloud. I think the private cloud is interesting, but there are a lot of ways to do that. But the, the fact that you've combined the private with the, with the public cloud is in a way that's secure is, is pretty interesting. Viral well, growth, that's where you and I disagree. Their public is just a directory of APIs. There's no real collaboration around it. It's more like a Yelp for APIs. Well, we'll talk to some developers and see if they think it's valuable. That would be obviously an obvious next step for this. Uh, viral growth distribution, you know, does this thing distribute on its own pretty well? Absolutely, because they are targeting one of the most viral groups imaginable, which are developers. And especially when you're talking about developers who are working with and creating APIs, these are the developers, developers. 
And so they are constantly communicating with each other. And so it is highly infectious and contagious, bad choice of words perhaps because there's a pandemic going on, but I would give them a nine out of 10. Excellent. So a nine and a nine, which is a strong start on the two most important metrics that we track. Product market fit is next and they're pretty far along and they obviously have a ton of traction with developers. So while we haven't used it or talked to their users, what do you think? How do you score it? Yeah, no, it definitely seems like they've got a lot of people using it and we've provisionally given them a nine. Again, that's provisional. We have to talk to some developers who've actually used it to get their sense of it. Yeah. And then market size where you and I lock horns on this one. I, I just feel like APIs are everything these days and most development is headed towards API development and they're just going to get lifted by that tailwind and the market's going to be enormous. And that's where you and I disagree because what happens in my experience in software development organizations is that there are a number of folks within the organization, the senior architects who work on the APIs, but the vast majority of software developers are merely API consumers, not API developers. And when it comes to those internal teams and the collaboration, it's only the API developers who are truly collaborating. So it's actually a tiny fraction of the software developer market, which is why we disagree. Uh, I think that in the end, we compromised. We went with a six. I feel like I won more of that debate, which is why we went with a six. Uh, but I feel like you would like to see that creep up once we've talked to some developers. Yeah, I, I, I think that'd be a really interesting thing to research. Uh, gross margin, organizational scalability, op scalability, all tens here. Again, we have a cloud platform that scales beautifully and is all profit when the money comes in. So there's no issue there. Ultimate score is an 82, so above 80. This is definitely an exciting one. We're a little late on it. It's Series C, and so maybe there's some left in the Series C that we could grab, but um, maybe not. Maybe we missed this one, and we have to wait for the Series D, which might be priced beyond our interest. We'll just have to see. Um, but, yeah, I mean, very exciting company, and uh, definitely gets a high score. So good work for, to everyone in the team at Postman. Let's move on. So Alchemex is our next one. And it's a collaboration platform that helps brands, so people making products that they want to sell in grocery stores, um, and retailers, so the, the grocery stores themselves, collect and share product data in a single place. So when the retailer needs the source of truth for a particular product, you know, what's the description and what's the logo look like and, and just how, what's the, what are the ingredients? Everything you need to know about a product and it's in one place. And when the manufacturer needs to update that, they can update it in one place and it gets immediately absorbed by all of their retailers. So it solves a big problem for both sides. And this is also a series C. It's out in Europe. I think it's a, it's a Paris-based company. And they just raised $23 million in, on June 11th. That's, that's when it was announced. Um, Want to talk about this company a little bit, Chris? You could start with network effects or you can start with your overall view. I love this kind of company for network effects because if you think about it, it's really bringing together those two different groups, which are very hard to coordinate, the suppliers and the retailers. And in each case, 
as you add to the number of suppliers or as you add to the number of retailers, it increases the value to everyone else. So as you add the number of suppliers and there are more and more suppliers on board, it becomes more and more valuable for all of the retailers. As you add the retailers, the more retailers come on board, the more valuable it becomes for the suppliers. It is a classic two-sided kind of marketplace effect and that is a strong 10 out of 10 network effect. Indeed. When you think of the history of directories, they have always had incredible network effects, starting with the phone book and then the yellow pages and on up to uh, Alchemix, which is uh, doing a great job with their data and making the directory. So let's talk about growth, though. I mean, you know, this is B2B again, so it's a little tougher to uh, just grow virally here. Exactly. And unlike something like a pinwheel, which we described very specifically targets developers, now we're not talking about developers necessarily. We're talking about merchandisers. We're talking about logistics. They're not as technology forward. So we actually gave it a slightly lower score than pinwheel, six out of 10. Yeah. So, you know, gosh, calling on grocery stores is not something I wish on my worst enemy. All right. Product market fit. Uh, you know, they they seem to be doing great. Uh, they've raised money from terrific investors and they've got uh, a lot of traction. They're on their Series C. So we, again, we're speculating here, but we're giving them a nine out of 10 because they've come so far and done so well and appear to be the emerging leader. So do you want to add anything to that, Chris, or should we move on to market size? No, I mean, I think what you should just do if you're curious is go to their website. And again, it's spelled with a K as opposed to a CH. And you can look at their customers and you can just see how they have the who's who of brands in Europe using them. And that's great evidence of the product market fit. Indeed. Market size. Well, the grocery store, the grocery market's enormous. Uh, This is one of the biggest categories of retail with cars. So with auto, so this is, you know, this is clearly a huge market. Um, any, any other interesting? I would just say 10 out of 10. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Gross margin and scalability and upscalability. Again, all tens. Marketplaces, as you, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you'll note that when it's a marketplace, it's always a 10 out of 10 across the board for all three of those. And that's because they do scale so beautifully in the cloud and the profit that you get, while it seems small, like you might only get 5% of the transaction you're enabling, but that's the take. And so we're doing the profit margin on the take, not on the overall gross market value volume. So it's, it's, it's a hundred percent gross margin really, except for a few, uh, a few pennies to Amazon. So the, the, the very high gross margin business is very scalable and that's why they often score high. Part of the reason why they score high with us. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, again, we're not purely limited to just investing in marketplaces. There are certainly other deals we've looked at that are blitz scalable that do not have that marketplace business model, but the marketplace business model is just a great business model. As long as the network effects are strong enough. Absolutely right. So let's move on to discussion of strength of network effects and a very interesting seed deal that was done by Andreessen Horowitz called Clubhouse. This was hypey, hypey, hypey deal in May. It it came about because of the pandemic and everybody's stuck at home and they needed something new and fun and interesting to do. And Clubhouse became this invite only sort of hush, hush, company that just sprang up into the 
into the market and everybody got very excited about it. It was a highly contested deal, actually, around, around uh, Sand Hill Road, wasn't it? Very hotly contested. And Andreessen Horowitz ultimately won out. Uh, I think in part because they were such enthusiastic supporters of the product. They actually had uh, Felicia Horowitz on Clubhouse essentially every night broadcasting and they brought their team in. They brought all their people on. They had everyone doing these broadcasts. Right. So what's behind the hype as far as should this company blitzscale? I mean, at first blush, well, can you describe the product first, Chris? So that's, this is an interesting thing. So Clubhouse is a little hard to describe because it has different elements of different social networks. So the first thing is Clubhouse is an audio social network. So you start to think of it as sort of being like, well, is it like an audio YouTube or more likely an audio Twitch because it allows people to broadcast live. Now, there have been things like that in the past. Blog Talk Radio, for example, has been around forever as a way to broadcast live. And of course, you could just broadcast video live on Twitch and have people listen to it as opposed to actually seeing the video. So I don't know if that's the differentiator necessarily. Now, what is interesting is the dynamic around Clubhouse. And this is the part where I feel like there's some innovation. So in addition to having that live audio feed, what really happens is it's essentially a flexible panel approach. So when you kick off one of your clubhouse broadcasts and people can just wander in and listen, you have a set of people who are on the panel and you can actually promote people from the audience to the panel. It's like a call-in show where you're taking calls from the listeners out there in radio land. Except in this case, you elevate them to the panel and because it's not being done over some sort of weird phone calling system, the audio quality is the same and they can essentially become a part of the panel as opposed to what a radio show is where a caller comes in for 15 seconds to say, thank you, caller number two, and we're on to caller number three. So that dynamic is unusual. I have not seen it before. And it does allow these conversations to be relatively freewheeling and to bring in new expertise instead of being this tightly controlled, tightly planned kind of thing like a typical event would be. Now, the way I know about Clubhouse is not by actually using it. I've seen a couple of things where it was used. I know, for example, that my old friends John Lilly and Reed Hoffman did a broadcast. I don't know, maybe Greylock was trying to get a deal as well. They thought if they had Reed do a broadcast and come on and talk about stuff, it would be helpful. I think they actually talked about science fiction. Uh, and then I also listened to this rather notorious leaked audio from an Andreessen Horowitz broadcast where there became this, at least characterized by the press, as a pile-on and disparagement of the mainstream press and specifically a journalist from the New York Times. And I listened to this, and there were several things that struck me. The first was there really isn't that much different about it. I mean, it's just people talking. It's like you had a Zoom and you put the audio out there and we're broadcasting it. Uh, but the second thing that struck me is it's hard to make compelling content. And they were taking the broadcast approach, which is this is something which a lot of people are going to listen to a small number of people. So it's a few to many kind of situation. And I'm not sure if that is necessarily going to be enough for Clubhouse, because in order to have the people who are broadcasting few to many, it essentially starts to look like Twitter, where you have a number of folks who are the big influencers and everyone else kind of listens in. 
there's some interactivity, but Twitter never really reached its full potential because it doesn't have the interactivity that something like a, a Facebook has to be so addictive and to deliver the dopamine to everyone. There are just so few people who will ever actually be able to be called onto the panel. How often will it happen that you're attending something and you get called to panel? It might not be often at all, in which case it's just basically a broadcasting feature. Now, where I think it would be interesting is just this notion of, hey, I've got some time right now. I'd like to engage in a dialogue. I'd like to see what conversations are going on. But the funny thing about that is we had an analogy for this in the telephone world. It was called the party line where people could dial in and you could be a part of a conversation that other people were already having. And it itself never became really huge. So in the end, while there's a lot of intriguing elements of Clubhouse, I think that history will record that this is one of those classic Silicon Valley VCs got all hyped up about something, but there really wasn't something that would translate to a broader market. Well, it comes down to product market fit, right? So if they get the product market fit right, then it could explode. You're saying there's some problems right now. They've got $10 million and a strong team to try to figure that out. And if they do figure it out, then there might be uh, some white space here that they can fill. Because as you say, if you could tap into an interesting conversation anytime that you have some free time, I think a lot of people would do that instead of trying to dial up a podcast. You know, you get to hear some something live and there's something good about live as Twitch showed us. So I, I, I really think there's an opportunity here, whether they're the ones that capture it, who knows, but certainly worth watching clubhouse as they evolve. And I think that, you know, this is all provisional. The reason we don't even bother scoring them is because all we have to go on, there's no website, there's no descriptions, there's no case studies. There's just the two limited interactions I've had with clubhouse, which wasn't even me using it. It was me just watching a recording of something that took place on clubhouse. So I think that it's highly provisional. It's certainly worth watching, but color me skeptical. And I think that, you know, what will take to change my mind is for me to actually get access to the product, experience it, and then be able to articulate why there is a good chance of product market fit. Great. Okay. Well, that's a wrap for this month of June. The, there were four deals that we discussed that scored pretty well. Um, well, we didn't score Clubhouse, but I think if we did score it, it would, you know, social networks usually do well with us. So I expect that, um, you know, down the road when we do learn more that it could get a good score. So that's four out of 75 deals in June. 75 is not a high number. That's a lower number than usual. And so I think while there was sort of normal activity in the spring, that's, that's come back a little bit. And so I think, you know, the word on the street is that the VCs are backing their existing companies, but doing fewer new investments. So that may have manifested itself in the data here. And it's, although four is, it's a pretty good number. So the fact that we got four companies out of those 75 is a pretty high hit rate. And in the end of the day, I mean, what we're talking about is a baseline of about maybe 100 deals a month, and it's down to 75. Remember, it was down way more in April, rebounded strongly in May. But it may be that May reflected a bunch of announcements that were deferred from April into May. And That's so true. we are looking at a slightly lower baseline. Again, it will bear watching July, August, and then most importantly, when the traditional fundraising season kicks off in September. I will say that I have been wondering whether or not we would see an August slowdown. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the numbers once we get into September and understand whether August deals were at the normal level, below or above. 
Yeah, always interesting to track. And I think we'll have some good analytics for our listeners when we run through the August deals. Looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, Scott, as always, thank you for coming on and joining the Chris Yeh podcast. And thank you everyone for listening.